Turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I'm going to get a quick, brief review of some of the things we saw last week, just to remind you where we are. But we got to the point, and I'm going to pray in just a second, but we got to the point where we said, okay, we've seen a big overview of end times. We see what's going to happen. Well, what about us? What about us when the rapture comes, because we talked about the next events of the rapture, we'll be taken off the face of the earth, we'll be in the presence of the Lord, because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, we're going to be with our Savior. But what about us? And what about, what's the plan? And we realized last week that how we live now as believers, now our living has nothing to do with salvation. Salvation is a gift, costs us absolutely nothing. Salvation is simply by faith alone and Christ alone. But how we live as a Christian determines our rewards and how we live in the kingdom and in the eternal state. So we've been talking about that. So the next event is the rapture in which we'll then stand before our Savior. We talked a little bit about that last week. I'll review very quickly, and then I'll take up from there. So let's start with prayer, and then we'll look at our chart and go from there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a great morning. Thanks for our Sunday school class. Thank you for the fun that we have as we come together. Lord, thank you that salvation is a gift simply by faith in Christ. It's not our works, our goodness, our righteousness, our faithfulness, or anything. It is by grace that we have been saved through faith, not of ourselves. It's your gift to us. So thank you, Lord, for that. But Lord, we recognize that as a believer, we're to live righteously and godly. We're to walk worthy of the calling which we've been called. We're to offer our lives as living sacrifices. We're to, to make an impact for you. We're to, uh, to walk worthy. And so, Lord, we pray that as we live for you, knowing that, that one day when we stand before you, we want to hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. So, Lord, we just ask you to teach us now as we think about rewards, as we think about standing before our Savior, Jesus Christ. Teach us now, Lord. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me remind you of just the flow of end-time events. Christ came the first time. He came to die on the cross to pay for sin. He comes the second time as the King of kings and the Lord of lords to rule in righteousness. He comes another time, but it's not to the earth. It's in the clouds. It's called the rapture in which the church is taken out. So we have seen that in the Old Testament was the prophecy of the Messiah. He would come. He would die. He would rise again. He'd walk on the earth 40 days and send back into heaven. We're in the church age now. The next event would be the rapture and which Jesus Christ comes in the clouds, the dead in Christ rise first. We are alive and remain to be caught up together with him. So we'll go up there. There'll be that time on the earth, the tribulation, followed by the second coming as Christ comes back to the earth. We come back with him, including Old Testament saints. The tribulation saints will be raised from the dead, all of this, and they'll go into the kingdom. He'll rule for a thousand years. At the end of the thousand years, there'll be what we call the great white throne judgment where unbelievers are raised to stand before Christ. And following that will be the eternal state. Now the key is there in this thousand year reign, we will serve Jesus Christ. During the eternal state, for all eternity, we will serve Jesus Christ. What will be the basis for our service? And we find it is going to be based on how we lived here. In this time period, in our lives, as those who belong to Jesus Christ, how we live now, are we faithful servants of Christ, will then determine the rewards that we get when we stand before our Savior. And so we said that the next event will be the rapture and then we'll be before Christ. So let's think about it and you can go ahead the, the next slide. As we saw this last week and so you, you, if you got your notes from last week, some of this you don't have to fill in at all. If you weren't able to be here last week, you can fill this in. But the next event will be rapture. That is the, the, the Greek word or the Latin word is rapio which means a snatching away. Jesus Christ is going to come in the clouds and we're going to be taken off. Now 
three things happen at the rapture. Now, there's more than that, but I, we highlighted the three. The first one, believers will be changed and raised. That's First Thessalonians 4. That's where I had you turn, where he talks about that Jesus died and rose again, and then he, uh, he's going to come get us, and, and um, we will be with him. The second thing that we put is, next slide if you want to. The next slide, the believers will be given new bodies. Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21 talked about that, that when Jesus Christ comes, he's going to change us. Then here's the third thing, and this is where we are. Believers will be rewarded. 2 Corinthians 5.10. Now, let me remind you of something. And if you don't have to turn to 2 Corinthians 5.10 because we talked about this last week. But it says we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to be recompensed for the things we've done in this body, whether good or bad. And the word bad means worthless. There's a truth that each one of us, every believer, will stand before Jesus Christ at the judgment seat of Christ. The word judgment, the word bima, is the Greek word bima, and it actually means rewarding. We will stand before Jesus Christ to be rewarded. Now, what is amazing that that every one of us individually will stand before Jesus. And according to First John, it, it could be we're ashamed at his coming, or it could be that he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, how we live now is going to have a bearing on them. That's why, here's the thing that, that a lot of people don't understand. Most people do not teach about rewards. And, and there's, an old, there's an old thought that says, if if you're a Christian, when you trusted in Christ and we all go to heaven, as people say it, we're all the same in heaven. That's not true. When you go to the, be with the presence of the Lord, He's going to reward people based on their service. This has nothing to do with their eternal destiny. This has nothing to do with people going to be in the kingdom and for eternal state. But it does have to do with how they have opportunities to serve. And so He says, we'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat, to be rewarded for the things we've done in His body, whether they are good or Worthless. Uh, the word bad in the Greek there is actually the word for worthless. And so we've talked about that. And the bottom line is this, that how we live now. Now, let me just say this. You can't look, we can't judge another person's motives. There's no way to know. We don't know what a person thinks. We don't know why. The bottom line of rewards is going to be on motive. Because if I help a person across the street and say, let me help you across the street, and my motive is to be looked at, that y'all would look at me and say, he's a nice man, I already have my reward. If my motive is just to help a person across the street and to live for Christ, when I stand before him, there'll be rewards there. So the first aspect we saw in first in Second Corinthians chapter five verse ten was that we're going to all stand before Jesus Christ to be rewarded. The second verse we looked at last time of the second passage was First Corinthians three eleven through fifteen, where he talked about that each person's work will be evident. And here's what he said, and we're not going to go to that verse yet because we saw it last week. But he said this is you'll stand before Christ, and he uses the analogy, and he says some of the things that we've done are gold, silver, and precious stones. Some of the things that we've done are wood hay and straw. He says fire is going to test it. He says it's going to catch on fire and whatever remains will be rewarded. And the truth is this, when you put fire to gold, silver, and precious stone, it's still there. When you put fire to wood, hay, and straw, it's gone. The analogy is, if you do things in the power of the Holy Spirit with the right motives, it'll be gold, silver, and precious stone, you'll be rewarded. If you do things with the wrong motive, it'll be uh, wood, hay, and straw. In these passages, we are not talking about good deeds and sin. 
Sin has already been placed on Christ. You will never stand before Jesus Christ for your sin. It's already been placed on Him. We're standing before Christ for our works and our deeds. That's the key. The sins of every human being have already been placed on Jesus Christ. So in that passage, he says, if, if whatever remains, there's rewards. If not, there'll be no rewards. That took us to the last place. And I want you to flip over there because we didn't finish this one last week. I want you to look at Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. And this is where we brought out the idea of judging. And now, listen, if you've got questions, comments, just stop me, okay? Because I'd rather us talk about it if you've got a question or a comment. In Romans chapter 14, notice what he says, verse 10. Why do you judge your brother? Or again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? We'll all stand before the judgment seat of God. That's the same as the judgment seat of Christ. Now he's raising the question, why do you judge your brother? He's not talking about judging someone. Like, let's say that someone does a sin. Somebody does something we know is wrong. It's wrong. Let's say somebody steals. And you looked at that person and said, that's wrong to steal. Sometimes people take the Bible and say, who are you to judge me? You're not supposed to judge your brother. That's not what that passage is talking about. When Jesus says, judge not, lest you be judged. He's not talking about looking at a person and saying that's wrong according to the Word of God because the Word of God is actually the judge. He's talking about motives. You can't judge another person's motive. And so in this passage when he says, why do you judge your brother? Talking about motives. Or again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? Listen, you don't know what his motives are by what he does. And I used that and that, I used that story last time about a person that used to sing in our church and oh, this person could sing up a storm and I knew her heart I mean I talked to her she talked to me she was wonderful and she loved to sing for Jesus Christ but I remember one time she sang and it was so good and a person came up to me and just looked at me and said oh that person just singing because they want everybody to think they're so good I said you don't know that you don't have no idea what her motive is when she sings and you have no idea what anyone's motive in this room is when they serve. If they're helping the nursery, if they're teaching a class, if they're moving chairs, you have no idea what their motives are. So when it says, don't judge your brother, it's talking about motives because you can't judge them. So he says, why do, you regard, why do you judge your brother? Why do you regard your brother with contempt? Listen. We will all stand before the judgment seat of God. That's the bema seat of God, the judgment seat of Christ. And then look what he goes on to say. As I lift, says the Lord, every knee's going to bow to me. Every tongue's going to give praise to God. So then each one of us, every one of us, will give an account of himself to God. Now this is what I just want you to see. That in our lives, as believers, one day you will stand before Christ. That's why you can't, you can't judge other people's motives. You don't know what their motives are. Other people can't judge your motives. But when you stand before Jesus Christ, that's when you will give an account of yourself. And that's basically saying, how, do, how did I live? Did, did I live for the glory of God? Did the things that I do, I did for the, for the glory of God. Now listen, we're, we're all fallen people. And even in our minds, we say things like, do I ever do anything with a completely pure motive? You may say, I don't know. I mean, I'm trying to do everything with a pure motive, but you know, who knows? Psalm 103, he knows that we are what? Dust. Listen, he loves us beyond what we could imagine. Do everything you can, the best you can, for the glory of God. He'll take care of the rest, okay? So, here's the first part of this study. We said, we're going to be rewarded.
When you use the word judge, sometimes it sounds bad. The Greek, the, the Bible in New Testament is, is translated B-E-M-A as judge, which is okay, but it really means reward. It means to recompense. It means to give back. So we're going to all stand before our Savior and be given back on what we've done. That means that if you, as Jesus said, gave a cup of cold water to someone in his name, you'll be rewarded. If you helped someone, if you did anything. If, and, and, and so the bottom line is, all of us, by the grace of God, he's given us gifts, talents, abilities. He's put us in places and responsibilities. And we've, we, by his grace, have been allowed to serve him. What is so great is he gives us the power to serve, he gives us the ability to serve, and he gives us the opportunity to serve, and then he rewards us for it. Isn't that incredible? It's all called grace. That's how he deals with us. Now, that takes us to the next part, okay? How do we gain rewards? What are the rewards called in the Bible? So I want you to see something. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Just flip over there real quickly, right toward the end of the passage. And Paul is talking about living for the Lord. And he even says this. He says, to all people, I became all things. Listen, when I was around the Jews, and Paul is Jewish, he said, when I was around the Jews, I acted like a Jew. (laughs) When I was around the Gentiles, I act like Gentiles. When I, he said, I did whatever it took. Now, that didn't mean he was a, a hypocrite, and it didn't mean he did anything wrong. It just means he tried to relate as much as possible to those he were around so that he might win some. That's what he says. So he might lead people to Christ. That's the plan. And that means when we're with people, and we, if, if let's just say that you're with this group of people, you, the group of guys, I'm with a group of guys, and they're talking hunting and fishing, okay? I don't know hunting and fishing. I don't even like hunting and fishing. I'm just me. But I'm going to go, oh, y'all like to hunt? Well, tell me, t- what kind of, what, what kind of, what kind of gun, shotgun, rifle? What do you use? What do you use? Tell me about what, what kind of, why? Because I want to know them, and I want to have an opportunity to touch their lives. And you may do the same thing. And so the bottom line, Paul says all that. Now, watch what he says at the end. He talks about getting the prize. What is the prize? The prize is rewards. Look what he says, 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24. He said, do you not know that all who run in a race, but only one receives the prize? So run in such a way that you might win. Now, at that time, the Corinthians, he's writing to the Corinthians, and they had what they called the Isthmus Games. Sort of like the Olympics, but they were called Isthmus Games. And people came from all over the world to run in these games. And so he's using the analogy and says, you know, when you have the games, everybody runs in the race, but only one gets the prize. Run so you may get the what? A prize. Now, in the Christian life, we're not competing against each other. There's not going to be one prize given out. There's prizes to every one of us. If you run the race faithfully, you get a prize. You're not competing against others. That's why you never compare yourself to someone else and you say, well, they got to do this. Well, based on their gifts, talents, and abilities that God gave them, he uses them to do this. Some other body else gets to do this. Okay? Now watch what he says. Don't you know that those who run in a race, you know, all run, but only one gets the prize? We need to run in such a way that we win. He says, for everybody who competes in the games... Exercise of self-control. They do it to get this wreath that tears up. It's perishable. But we get an imperishable wreath. He's saying we're getting a reward. We're getting a crown. One that lasts forever. So Paul goes on to say, I, I run. I, I discipline myself. I live in such a way to bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ. So we want to get rewards. 
then we need to live for the glory of God. We need to wake up every day and say, Lord, I want my life to count for you. I want to go wherever you want me to go. Now, let me tell you, it's the hardest thing because become, become a Christian costs us absolutely nothing. It's what? It's a, it's, a, it's a gift. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. So to, for us to be saved, it costs you nothing. It's called grace. Jesus has done it all. He died and rose again. He's offering the gift of eternal life, and we take the gift. But to earn rewards, we say, I want my life to count for the Lord. I'm going to offer my life to God as a sacrifice. I want to say, God, I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I want to live for you. Now, we know that many, many, many believers never get to that point in their life. They trust Christ. They have eternal life. They're saved. They're saved forever. But to live for Jesus Christ is, and let me just say it, is the step that they haven't taken. And, they, and, and I remember, I, I told you all this last week, I trusted Christ when I was 19 years old. And I understood it was the grace of God, and I put my faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. It wasn't until I was about 25 or 26 years old that I was coaching at Mississippi State, and I was, uh, I, there were things going on in my life, and I just started really going to church, and I just started doing things, and I started studying the Bible on my own, and I came to a point where I said, I know that I need my life to count for Christ. I, I need to do that. Now, I'm afraid to do that. I was afraid because I was afraid if you did that, you'd, you know, I wanted to be a coach and I was getting the coach at Mississippi State and I was coaching track and being on the football staff and everything was, was, was good for me. But I was afraid that if I said, okay, Lord, I give you my life, that he would make me become like a missionary or a pastor. That's what I thought. And so I said, I, I just want to be a coach and so for, a while, for some time, I, I was afraid to say, I give you my life, and I'll go anywhere. Huh? It is. I know. I still get to coach, right? I, I get to equip the saints to what? Do the work of the ministry, build up the body of Christ. So I said one day, I came home from football practice, and I got in my room, and I said, Lord, I give you my life. I want to live for you. Now, this is not salvation. Salvation was back when I was 19 when I took the gift of eternal life. This is not a gift. This is going to cost me. This is going to cost me my life. To live for Jesus Christ costs you your life. You say you take up your cross, die to yourself, and follow Him. So my challenge to every one of you in this room, if you have trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior, it costs you nothing. If you've never come to the place in your life where you said, listen, I want my life to count for you, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you your life, and it is scary. That's why Paul writes in Romans 12, he says, I beseech you, brethren, believers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices to God. He says, I want you to do it. I want you to give your life to Christ for service. I want you to live it. He says, stop being conformed to the world. Stop being shaped by this world and be transformed by the renewing of your mind, by putting the God's word in your brain. That's the challenge for every one of us. And when you do that, when you say, Lord, I want my life to count for you, one day when you stand before him, you know what he's going to say? Well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Now, you, you can offer your life to God and then still not be faithful. You can say, I want my life to count for you, but I'm not going to do the things you asked me to do. And you're not faithful. But the bottom line is we want to live for him and make an impact. Now, when you do that, you get crowns. Let me show you what the crowns are. Everybody's talking about crowns. and There's a place in the Bible in, in, in uh, Revelation where you, he see, you know, John is caught up there and he sees the throne of God and he sees these 24 elders around the throne and they're all going holy, holy, holy and praise God. And, all, and they take their crowns and they throw them on the ground. 
And some people say, what are these crowns? They're rewards. Let me show you something. Uh, can, uh, well, I wish they weren't up there yet. Now, go back. Go back. And, uh, yeah. Uh, what are the crowns called? I'm going to give you four. There are four places in the Bible that are actually called crowns. And I'll explain to you what they mean in a minute. Okay, there's a crown called the crown of joy. Go ahead. The crown of righteousness. The crown of life. And the crown of glory. Now, I'm going to give you more details in a minute on these as we go through them. But that's four crowns that the Scripture talks about. The crown of joy, the crown of righteousness, the crown of life, and the crown of glory. Now, let's talk about a crown for just a second. Okay, if you get it written down, you don't have, I'm going to give you more details in a minute so you, you don't have to write every word down. In fact, if you just wrote joy, righteousness, life, and glory, that's all you need at that section because we're going to put more down in just a minute. In the, in the New Testament, there are two words for crown. There's a word which translates, or we call it, it's pronounced diadem. And we say diadem like a, like a crown that a king would wear. And so if you said, here's this king, put his crown on his head, it would be the word diadem. It means one who rules. There's another word, and it sounds like Stephen Scott, the word is stephanos. And it's a Greek word that means crown, but it means a reward. It was the reward that if you won the race, and they put that little thing on top of your head and said, you're the winner of the 100-meter dash, and they put that little wreath there, that was called a stephanos. The word used here for these crowns is the word stephanos, which means crowns of rewards. So when the Bible talks about getting rewards, getting crowns, we're, we, there are at least four that are, that are listed in the Scripture. Now, there are all kind of different things and all kind of things that you will do to get rewarded, but he actually mentions four crowns. Let's see what they are, just in, and we'll go through them quickly as we can, just time-wise. But the first one is called the crown of joy. Now, listen to this. Let me read this to you. Uh, it's, in, uh, it's in 2 Thessalonians. And it's verses 19, and let's see, let me get over here. Second Thessalonians, wait a minute, that's not right, it must be First Thessalonians. Oh, I'm sorry, First Thessalonians, does that say second? No, it's First Thessalonians 2, why don't y'all help me, you know, I'm way off here. <laughs> I'm in the wrong book. Okay, this is a crown that we get when we lead people to Christ, when we're faithful to share our faith, listen to what this says. Paul says, he's writing to the Thessalonians, he says, who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? He's talking about them. He says, you are. Is it not you in the presence of our Lord Jesus as coming? You are our glory and joy. He's basically saying, I came to the Thessalonians and I led people to Christ and we started the church and now we have a good interaction. And he says, when I come before Jesus Christ, you will be my crown of joy because God's going to say to me, good job with these people. You're going to be surprised someday. Because someday you, you may have talked to someone and you told them about Jesus and they went, I'll think about it. And then you don't see them anymore. And two years down the road, they understood what you said. And then for the first time they say, I, I believe in Jesus as my Savior. And, and when you stand before Jesus Christ, he may bring all the people by that you led to Christ. And you go, I didn't know I led them to Christ. Uh, them too? Them. And who knows how many, listen, you lead this person to Christ and then they lead somebody else to Christ. Do you think that's connected with you somehow? It sure is. When we stand before Jesus Christ, 
we may be amazed at how he used us and what he did. He may be amazed. We may be amazed. I know he'll be amazed, but we, we may be amazed, okay? There's a second one. It's called the crown of righteousness. Second Timothy chapter 4. Listen to this. This basically is a crown you get for living righteously. Listen to this. This is Paul writing about his life. He says, I've, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the, corp, uh, the course. I've kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. He's going to give me that award, and not only me, but everybody who loves his appearing. He, what did he do? He fought the fight. He kept the faith. He lived righteously and godly. He did the right things. This is a reward for living godly and righteously in a fallen world. Isn't it hard to live righteously and godly in a fallen world? You think it is? Remember my little saying that I I say this. I say, if you're not consciously being transformed by the Word of God, you will unconsciously be conformed to the world. If you're not consciously being transformed by the Word of God, you will unconsciously be conformed to this world. It is not easy to live righteously and godly in a fallen world. We're to be lights in the midst of a what? A crooked and perverse generation. He's going to reward us when we fight the fight. We keep the face. We righteous living. Paul says he's going to get a reward and anybody else who looks forward to that as well. There's a third crown. It's called the crown of life. James chapter 1. And let me read this to you. This is chapter 1 verse 12. And listen to what he says. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trials. For once he's been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Listen, this is a reward for trusting God in the trials of life. How many of you have had any trials in your life? Okay. Did you trust God or not? See, sometimes things come in our lives and we go, okay, if that's the way God's going to be, I'm through with him. You didn't trust him in the trial of life. But when things go wrong, you say, Lord, I don't understand it, but you are God, and you love me beyond what you could imagine, beyond what I could imagine or what you imagine, and so I, I'm going to have to trust you. I don't understand it. I don't even like it, but I will trust you. Have you done that before? You're going to receive reward. It's called the crown of life, trusting God in the trial of life, the trials of life. First Peter talks about it. He talks about if you're going to suffer, suffer for doing what's right. <laughs> Trust God when the, when the things come. Okay, There's one more. It's called the crown of glory. I want you to look at 1 Peter. That's real close to it from James. 1 Peter chapter 5. And this is called the crown of glory which is given to those who shepherd the flock. Now when you hear that, who, who shepherds the flock? Who? The pastor. Everybody says, oh, this must be for the pastor. No, this is for any of us who, who help take care of each other. Isn't that what we're all supposed to do? In the book of Acts, what have we been seeing? They were one heart and one mind and one soul, and if anybody had a need, somebody else. So everybody was shepherding the flock. We all can shepherd the flock. Look at First Peter chapter 5. Uh, Peter writes this. He says in verse 2, Shepherd the flock of God, of which God has given you to exercise oversight. And then look at verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. This is called the crown of glory. And this is for shepherding people, helping people, helping feed and lead and protect and take care of and help people grow as believers. Who's supposed to help believers grow? 
all of us, we equip the saints to do the work of the ministry for what? The building up of the body of Christ. Who does the work of the ministry? The believers do. So who's going to get the crown of glory? The believers do. So he says there are at least four crowns, four types of rewards that we get when we, when we seek to live for Jesus Christ on this earth. And it's powerful truth. Let, let me show you this. Look at this next thing. As believers share their faith, live righteously, trust God in trials, and shepherd one another, there will be rewards. And, 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 you know, when you help somebody, you do something, you teach, you do all these things, all of those tie in together with rewards. He does mention these four places in which he calls particular crowns. So there's a crown that a king wears. That's not what we're talking about. There's a crown that a, a victor wears, someone who wins the race, and they get the crown. He's saying, when you live for me, I'm going to crown you. Will you and I have crowns when we stand before our Savior? When we stand before our Savior, will He say, Well done, good and faithful servant, or will we be ashamed at His coming? What does it depend on? What does it depend on? I can't hear you. How we live. Are we going to be faithful or not? It all really goes back to faithfulness. It goes back to the fact that you say, here's my life, and I have one life and one time now until the Lord comes and either gets me or I die, right? Your Christian life is that time period in which you live on the earth from the time you've trusted in Christ until the time you're with the Lord, either by death or His coming to get you in the clouds. So this is the time period that we have. And so we have an opportunity now to live for Christ. I have to say this. This body of believers is amazing because the, from the moment we started this church about 10 months ago, almost everybody jumps in there and helps in all kind of ministries and does all kind of things. There are some of you that would say, until we started this church, I really never did very much anywhere else. But then all of a sudden I realized I'm needed. Do you realize that at the end of the service and you put up your chair... Think about it. You may get a reward. Hey, I'm going to put a chair up. Hope everybody's seeing me. Uh-oh. There goes that reward. <laughs> the key word is faithfulness. Moreover, brethren, it is required of stewards to be found what? Faithful or trustworthy. Now, I want to show you this. We've got just a few minutes. I want to start on this. I want you to go to Matthew chapter 25. Okay, Matthew 25, and I want you to see Jesus teaching this. Now, next week when we look at this, I, I, you've got to understand this because it is amazing what he does. We're going to look at three different parables in which he teaches faithfulness. And before I forget it, I want to throw one other thing in. We say the goal is for you to be faithful in your life. Is that correct? Okay, what if you trust Christ... Let's pretend you trusted Christ when you were 19 years old and you lived faithfully till you were 90 years old and you passed away. You had a long time to serve Him, didn't you? What if you trusted Christ when you were 19 years old and you served Him faithfully and you died at age 28? Well, that's not fair. 
I mean, this guy had all these years to get rewards and service, and he's well done, good, and faithful. I mean, it's good. Oh, God, gracious, alive. Look what you did. But this poor guy, he was faithful, but he only had, what, six or seven or eight years? Does that sound fair to you? Well, that's not the way it's going to be. And that's one of the parables I'm going to show you next week as well. It's not the amount of time you get to serve. It's whether you are faithful or not. Look at Matthew 25. I know time's just about up, but let's see something for just a minute. Jesus is talking, and he's talking to the guys, and he says, you know, it's about a man. Look at verse 14. Just go, go real quickly through this. I want you to see it. It's just about a man. It's about a man. Uh, the kingdom of God is just like a man who went on his journey, and he called his slaves together, and he entrusted his possessions to them. He gave the one of them five talents to another. He gave two, and the one he gave one, and then he went on his journey. Now, look what happened. The one who had five made did what? Got five more. The one who had two got two more. The one who had one said, yeah, I don't know about this. I'm just going to go. I'm not going to really use this at all. I'm just going to go put it in the ground because this guy may come back and say, where's my money? And I might say, well, I've got it here, but something could happen to it, so I better just kind of hide it. Well, he comes back. After a long time, the master of slaves came back. Look at verse 20. The one who received the five talents came up and bought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted me five. I got five more. I really used what you gave me. In fact, I doubled it. Five talents, two talents, one talent. Now, a talent is, is a is an amount of money or it's a, it's, a, it's a measure or something. But sometimes we think of talent and we say abilities and we talk about spiritual gifts and we talk about the opportunities to serve. And so some people, let's face it, in some ways, some people are really, really, really gifted. I mean, some people are such amazing athletes. Some people, they, they're just so smart. Some people can, can, can read and, and do that. And some people can write things. I mean, you know, I mean, there's amazing when you start looking at people and you say, you are really good at this. You're really good at this. You're really good at this. You're really... We all got different gifts, talents, and abilities. But some people may have five, and some people may have two, and some people may have one. We're all different, right? Nobody's the same. The guy that got five in this thing, he says, Master, I got five more. And his master said to him, verse 21, Well done, good, and what? Faithful servant. You were faithful in just a few things. I'm going to put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. He says, here's your what? Rewards. Now, time is up. You you know what happened to number two, didn't he? Also, the one who had received two talents came up and said, Master, you gave me two, and I've got two more. He said, man, well done, good, and what? Same answer. He didn't say, well, you only had two. <laughs> no, he says, great job. Well done, good and faithful. You're faithful in a few things. I'll put you in charge of what? Many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Listen, it doesn't matter whether you got five or two or one. What's the key here? Faithful. Look at the third one. And, he, and the one who came up who had received the one talent and said, I, I know you're kind of a hard man and all that kind of stuff. And so I was afraid. And I went away and put your talent in the ground. So here's your one, and the master said, you're wicked and lazy. You ought to put, at least put it in the bank where I could have got some interest back. By the way, take it away and give it to the guy who had ten. <laughs> now the bottom line is, what did he do with the talents God gave him? He didn't use them. Let me ask you a question, because we're going to stop right here. What are you doing with the gifts, talents, ability, life, time, money, 
possessions that God has given to you. What are you doing with those things? Because one day, when you stand before Jesus Christ, we will give a what? An account of how we used what he gave us. We'll, we'll get back over that next week. Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thanks for the class. Thank you, Lord, as we look at rewards and realize that one day we'll get to stand before you. And Lord, we, all, we, all we care about is that our lives would count for you. And that we just be faithful. And so, Lord, I pray for everyone in this room who know Jesus Christ as Savior. Thank you for the gift of eternal life, which cost us absolutely nothing. Thank you that we know we have eternal life. But, Lord, we we want our lives to count for you because one day we'll stand before you for rewards for how we live this life. And, Lord, we want to hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. We want you to reward us. Lord, we know that you have given each of us gifts, talents, and abilities, some in different ways and different forms and different ways. But, Lord, all we care about is whether it's five or ten or whatever it is or one or a half, it doesn't matter. We just want to use it for your glory. Lord, stir us up so that we can hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.